Well, turning your Bibles to Luke 23, we're continuing, of course, our study of the Gospel of Luke. Luke shows Jesus as the perfect man. He's the one who's come to be our substitute. He is the Savior. He is the final sacrifice for sins for the whole world. Now, Jesus is going to the cross. He has already been tried six times, three times before the Jews, found guilty as the Son of God three times before the Romans, found not guilty as the King of the Jews. We saw last time that Pilate finally gave up. The crowd had begun to shout to put Jesus to death. He released a prisoner by the name of Barabbas and delivered Jesus to be crucified. This morning we see Jesus on the way, on the way to the cross, going what has been called as the Via Della Rosa, the way of suffering. He is on his way to die for you and for me. He's going to the place that we call Calvary, a place called Golgotha, a place known as the Skull. What's going on? Who is there? Who is, as Jesus makes his way to his death, we find that the women are following. What does he say to them and why? As we look at our passage this morning, we see clearly the rejection of Jesus by the nation of Israel. They did not believe he was their Messiah. They did not believe he was their Savior. What is the result of the rejection by the nation of Israel? We're going to see that Jesus said there's a coming judgment. May we understand the events of our passage, and may we make application of truths even in our lives as we look at God's perfect word. Well, most of us know John 1.12, the verse, which says, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name. And we realize that verse says, All who believe in Jesus become sons of God by faith. And it's a great truth for all of us that we have trusted in Jesus. Not only do we have eternal life, but we are children of God. Now, a lot of us know John 1.12, but how many of us know John 1.11? Because John 1.11 says, He came into his own, but his own received him not. What's he talking about? Well, Jesus came into his own, his own people, the nation of Israel. He came into them. He came as their Savior. He came as their Messiah. He offered himself as the King and Savior. But the Jewish people received him not. They did not believe in him. They rejected him. As a nation, as a whole, now individual Jewish people believed in Jesus Christ. But as a whole, as a nation, they did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Led by the religious leaders, they not only rejected him, but they wanted him dead. This morning we see clearly the rejection of the nation of Israel of Jesus, of course, by the nation of Israel. He's been tried. He's on his way to be crucified. He is going to the cross. We're going to talk a little bit about the cross of Christ a little bit later as we get there. Last time we saw Pilate as the Roman governor, he, he found him not guilty, but the crowd was wild. The crowd became a riot. They, they were getting out of hand, and Pilate said, I've got to deal with him because I do not want to get in trouble. It's my job to keep these Jewish people under control and... I, if it means this guy dying, it means this guy dying because I'm, I'm going to give him up. And so verse 25 of Luke 23 says, And he released the man who were they asking for who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, but he delivered Jesus to them. And so that's what that verse tells us, that he released Barabbas and he delivered Jesus. He delivered Jesus to die for us. Beginning this morning, we're going to begin to see the events of the crucifixion. It's going to take us several weeks to go through there. And if you look at the passage, you say, well, really, we're about verse 26, and there's 50 some, you know, 56 verses. Before you know it, we'll be right through with it. There's a lot there. We're going to see, we're going to see him go into the cross. We'll see the crucifixion. We're going to see his seven statements on the cross. There's two in the Gospel of Luke. We'll go to the other Gospels to see some of the things that he says. We're going to see some specific Old Testament prophecies 
that were fulfilled. Things that had been written long ago, and they come true as Jesus goes to the cross and dies for us. Powerful truths for us. As we look this morning, the rejection of the nation of Israel, of Jesus. Let's, let's break down the passage. Let me show you how we're going to look at it. First of all, we're going to see that Simon, a man by the name of Simon of Cyrene, carries the cross. We'll talk about why, what all happened there. Then we'll see Jesus speaking to the women because they're falling behind and they're lamenting. The women are mourning. And he tells them, and he tells them, listen, don't weep for me. Weep for yourself because a judgment is coming on the nation of Israel. And then we see that there's two criminals being crucified with him. And then they come to the place of crucifixion, which is called the skull. And we'll talk about why is it called the skull. And we'll see best we can about how all that fits together. Well, let's begin. Jesus led to the place of sacrifice. You'd think about this. He is the final sacrifice for sin forever. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the great high priest who offers himself as the sacrifice. This is what we're seeing. Luke chapter 23 verse 26 says this. When they led him away, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene, coming in from the country and placed on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. Well, they led him away. Well, who was the day? Of course, it's been the Roman pilots in charge. He turns to his soldiers, and they're going to take Jesus away. At this time, there's at least four Roman soldiers. The best we can tell from history that a person, when they were crucified, there were at least four Roman soldiers with each person were crucified. They were taken to the place of crucifixion. Realize the horror of crucifixion. It was a terrible way to die. I remember just when I first started studying the Bible, I thought, well, you died because they put, you know, nails in you and you just like bled to death or something. Who knows? You suffocated. You suffocated. Sometimes it took a long time to die on the cross. And it was out in front of people and no clothes and people just made fun of it. It was just a terrible thing. Romans did not crucify Roman citizens. This was reserved for slaves and foreigners. Jesus is being led to his death and, and we say, wow, this is terrible. But just remember. Jesus is in control. He's working all things according to the counsel of his will. He is laying down his life, and he's going to take it back up again. Pilate's not in control. Herod's not in control. The Jewish leaders are not in control. Jesus is in control, and he's on his way to his death. Now, think about what's happened. He has been up all night. He has been beaten. He has been tried six times, three times before the Jews, three times before the Romans, been beaten, beaten by the Jews, beaten by the Romans, been scourged which oftentimes that killed a person, and uh, he is without strength. He is now going to be led away, and he was supposed to carry the top part of the cross, the beam that goes across, because they would get them there, and then they would nail all this together, and then they would raise it up. So here, the, the one who is condemned to die, part of the punishment, part of the shame, was to take that part of that cross and carry that out to their death. That's the plan. But we're going to see that Jesus is unable to do it. He has been beaten so much. Isaiah tells us that he was beaten so much that you could not recognize his face. You couldn't tell who he was. And so what it says is when they led him away, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene, coming in from the country and placed on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. And they seized him. The word seized means to be grabbed. It means to be by force. It's almost to see the Romans with this guy. Hey, you, you, here, you carry this. Go, carry this. Simon of Cyrene. It says, he was a man named Simon of Cyrene coming in from the country and placed on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. Well, his name was Simon. He was from Cyrene. That's in northern Africa. He was most likely there for the feast. We know some things about this man. The Gospel of Mark tells us he had two sons, one named Alexander and the other named Rufus. That was his two sons. Now, why would we even know anything about this man? I mean, he's just some guy who walks in and they go, hey, hey, take this. 
Well, we know, Mark tells us his sons were Rufus and Alexander because the best we can tell, he most likely became a Christian over in, in the Gospel of, excuse me, in the book of Romans, chapter 16, it even mentions Rufus. So the best we can tell, maybe, maybe he became famous after this. Maybe he became a believer and people knew about it and his children followed with him. That's all we know. But Mark actually says, here's a man named Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, and Paul mentions Rufus in the book of Romans, chapter 16, verse 13. It says he was coming in from the country. Now, this is the feast day, the Passover. Jewish men from all over the world had come. The city was just full of people. And he's come and he's heard about this commotion. He's seeing what's going on. He, he comes in and he sees all the people in the streets and the screaming and the, and the shouting and all this. And he goes, what, what is going on? And he finally gets basically to the crowd and, and he sees here's a man being led out and he's stumbling and falling, I'm sure. And, and all of a sudden the Roman goes, hey, you. Carry this. And you don't say no to the Roman soldier. You don't say no. You don't say, well, I don't have any part of this. Excuse me. I'm going back over here. No, you don't do that. And so they seized him, coming in from the country, and placed on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. He is going to be used by God to help Jesus get to the cross. Think about that. There's a picture here, too, of, of, of a disciple because what is a disciple? A disciple is one who takes up his own cross and follows Jesus. Of course, this man is taking up Jesus' cross and following Jesus. But that's what a disciple is. See, a believer is one who has believed in Jesus Christ and has eternal life. A disciple is one who says, I want my life to count for Christ. I want to die to myself. Jesus used the analogy of take up the cross and follow him. And that's what we see happening. That's a great picture of a disciple. As Jesus is winding through the streets, the narrow streets of Jerusalem... Going to the place called the Skull outside the city. Huge crowd following him. Many people are curious to, to want to see what's going on. Many people wanting to see him die. Some people sad, some people glad, some people not knowing what's going on. As always with large crowds, a lot of people are going, what's going on? What's going on? There's some people saying, he's ought to die. And there's some people saying, we don't want him to die. Now look who's following, verse 27. And following him was a large crowd of the people. And of women who were mourning and lamenting him. Now notice that there's a large crowd of people, but the emphasis is on the women. What were they doing? It says they were mourning, they were lamenting, they were, they were hitting themselves. They were going, no, 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 we don't want this. They were sad, they were crying, they were upset. Because Jesus, if you said to them, what's the deal? He is an innocent man. Jesus had an incredible ministry among women. You know, in that culture, women... In a sense, we're second class in a lot of ways, whether it was the Jewish culture or the Roman culture or the Greek culture in some ways. And yet Jesus had a, a great ministry with the women. They followed him. In fact, the Bible tells us, Gospel of Luke, it tells us that they followed him and they ministered to him all during his ministry. They were the ones who stayed at the cross when Jesus died. They were the first ones to the tomb. The women were the first ones that Jesus appeared to at his, in his resurrection. And you remember, it was a woman who came and anointed Jesus, preparing him for his death. They saw things. They were ready. They realized who Jesus was. They were sensitive to what was going on. And then notice Jesus talks to them. He didn't talk to Herod. He didn't talk to Pilate. But he talks to the women. Verse 28. Jesus turning to them said, Daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. Now, as he's going through the streets, 
and falling behind him is Simon with the cross. Just picture that Jesus is so bloody. You, you wouldn't exactly know who he is. You might not be able to tell who he is. His back is ripped to pieces. His front is ripped to pieces. Blood's all down his face. And, and, and it's just a terrible thing. And he turns back to these women who are weeping and moaning and lamenting. And he says, daughters of Jerusalem, don't, don't weep for me. Stop weeping for me. But weep for yourselves and your children. He says, don't weep for me because this is the plan. This is okay. I'm, this, I'm laying down my life. This is not something that, that's out of control. This is the plan. But he says, weep for yourself and weep for your children. Why? Because the nation of Israel is going to undergo great suffering and judgment. So you realize that the nation of Israel is rejecting their Messiah. Out of all the people in all the world, who should have recognized him? Beginning from, from Abraham in Genesis 12, Abraham to Isaac to Jacob uh, to, to Joseph to Judah to David, to, uh, all the way up. Who should have recognized the Messiah? I mean, these religious leaders immediately should have said, hey, he fits the scripture. He fits, he fits everything. He should be the one. But Jesus said, don't weep for me, weep for yourself and your children because there's a judgment coming 40 years into the future. In A.D. 70, Rome will invade the city that will kill thousands, thousands of people. They will burn down the temple. They will scatter the Jewish people all over the world. And do you realize in A.D. 70, when they scattered the Jewish people all over the world, there was no nation of Israel country until 1948. All those years passed. God had his people scattered all over the world. They did not come to be a nation of Israel until 1948. He said, the judgment is coming. He says, if you're going to weep, don't weep for me. Weep for yourself and for your children. He goes on to give some details. He says, for behold, the days are coming. When they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. He said, the days are coming. It's going to be A.D. 70. They will say, blessed are those who never had children. Now, in that culture, you were blessed if you had children. Everybody wanted to have children. All women wanted to have children. That was a sign, sign of a blessing of God. And when a woman didn't have a child, people would say, we're so sorry. We're so sorry. But to have children, that was the blessing. But Jesus says the opposite here. He says, they're going to say, there's going to come a time when people are going to say, blessed are the ones who don't have any children. He said, blessed are those who, who are barren, that their wombs never bore and their breasts never nursed. Why? Why will they say, we're so glad you don't have children? Because when the judgment comes, they're going to kill men, women, and children. And he says, it's going to be blessed that you don't have to watch your children die. It's better not to have children when the judgment comes. Jesus had taught this before. Let me let me do this. Turn back just a couple of chapters in your in Gospel of Luke to Luke 19. Luke 19 and look at verse 43. Luke chapter 19, verse 43, just a couple of pages back, and you'll see where Jesus has already talked about this judgment coming to the nation. Luke 19, verse 43, he says, he uses actually the same words. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. That's exactly what happened to Jerusalem. The Romans under Titus, who was the Roman general who later became the emperor, A.D. 70, came to Jerusalem. The battle began and they conquered the city, surrounded it. It says, and they will level you to the ground and notice and your children within you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. He's saying you didn't recognize when the Messiah came. 
And there's going to be judgment on Israel. Go back to Luke 23. But there's judgment coming. He taught this. Because the nation of Israel has rejected the Messiah, there will be judgment on the people. But let me remind you, God's not through with his people. God's not through with his people. What we understand is that God set the nation of Israel aside and he has chosen the church, the body of Christ made up of Jews and Gentiles who believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. He is using us now. And we don't know how long he's going to use us, but he says one of these days he's going to come in the clouds and the dead in Christ rise first. We who are alive and remain will be taken off the face of the earth. We call that the rapture. And we, the church, will be gone. God will then turn back to his people Israel. And he will use them. And 144,000 Jewish people, 12,000 from each of the 12 12 tribes, Revelation chapter 7, 144,000 Jewish people will believe in Jesus Christ as Messiah and Savior and be proclaimed throughout the world. So God is not through with his people. And when Jesus says the judgment is coming on Israel, it doesn't mean he's through with his people. There are people who teach today that God's through with Israel. That because of their rejection, he says, you're gone. And he says, now we're. And there are people who actually teach that the church is a spiritual Israel. Nowhere in the scripture does it say that, but they teach that. God is not through with Israel. We are the church, the body of Christ. We are different. He says, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. He says, blessed is going to be a day. People are going to say, it's good that you didn't have children. The judgment will be so horrible that there will be people who will say, I just wish a mountain would follow me. I, I wish I could die very quickly. I just, I just want to get this over with. Notice what he says. They will begin to say, to the mountains, fall on us. And to the hills, cover us. There's going to come a time that they wish they could die so quickly because of the judgment. It's a sad time. But it's exactly what happened. Jesus, whatever he says, always is right. You know that. But notice next, because he gives a little proverb. He's still speaking to the people, and notice what he says, still speaking to the women. He says, for if they do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it's dry? And we'll go, what in the world is that talking about? There's a little proverb, and he says, if they do this when the tree is green. Here's the proverb. If they do this when the tree is green, what will happen when it's dry? The idea of the green tree, that's a good tree. If, if something will happen to the good tree, what's going to happen to the tree when it's dried up, when it's a dead tree? What's going to happen? And so the point is this. If Rome will do this to one that they know is innocent, they knew Jesus was innocent and they're putting him to death. He says, if Rome will do this to the one who is innocent, the green tree, what's going to happen? What will they do to those who they think that are guilty? That's the nation of Israel. He says, if they'll punish me and do this to me, and they know I'm innocent. What are they going to do to you when they think you are guilty? They're going to destroy them. And that's the proverb. If they'll do it when it's green, what will they do when it's dry? Sort of like saying, if they'll do this to a good person, what will they do to one that they think's bad? What will happen to that nation? If they kill Jesus, the good man, what will they do to Israel, who they consider slaves and wicked? We live in a fallen world. And when you stand for Jesus Christ, you can expect that there will be persecution. Jesus said, they, they hated me, they hate you. What's going to happen? What have we seen so far? We've seen that Jesus is going down the way that we often call the Via, Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering. He is on his way to the cross. 
Simon, following behind him, is carrying the cross. The women are crying. Jesus is saying, don't cry for me. Cry for yourself because there's a judgment coming. And Jesus died and rose again. Now, the best we can tell, this is around 33 A.D. I want to show you something about the persecution. In the 40s and 50s, Jesus died on the cross around 33, and the church began right after that and began to spread out, and both Jews and Christians, the persecution began on Rome. It shouldn't say on Rome and the Christians. The persecution began from Rome onto the Christians, onto the Jews and the Christians. Persecution began. Now listen, a lot of times we'll read and we'll talk about the Christians being crucified and the Christians being put thrown to the lines and all that. The Jews were too. For a long time, everything was fine. They looked at Jews and Christians and they saw them as one thing. Rome saw Judaism and Christianity and they said, it's all the same thing, just a little bit different. There came a time when Rome said, I think Christianity is different from Judaism and so we're going to go after the Christians. And we find that in the 60s, great persecution began. And then as you get into A.D. 70, not only did Rome go after Christians, Rome decided to go after the Jews. Was the uprising. And Titus came in and destroyed the city, burned the temple, and scattered the Jews. There was a rebellion. Most of the Jews were killed. The city was leveled. The temple was destroyed. There was a band of Jewish people, Jewish men and some women, who defied the the, the Jews. And they got on top of a hill called Masada. And they fought off the Romans for three years because the hill goes way straight up. And it was a place that Herod had built, one of his summer homes. And they got up there and the Romans couldn't get there. And it took three years for the Romans to build siege ramps against this long, tall place to get up there. And when they finally got up there in 73 A.D., they got to the top of Masada. Their plan was to kill every Jew up there. And the Jews knew that when the Romans got up, they would kill them. And so... They all killed themselves. And when the Romans got there, there was one little girl who had hidden, and they found her, and they found out what happened. But the Jewish people decided that they would not be killed by the Romans. They would all kill themselves, and they did. Today, when a Jewish man or Jewish woman is sworn into the Israeli army, they do it from Masada. And they say, never again will Masada fall. So the Jews were killed on the top of Masada, A.D. 70, 73. That was the great persecution. And Jesus said it was coming. He said there's going to be a time that you wish you didn't even have any children. It's going to be so bad. We get a little more information. Look at verse 32. It says, two others also who were criminals were being led away to be put to death with him. It says two others. Now, in the Greek, it's, it's, it's unique because the language is so exact. There's a word for other, and there's a word other that means other of the same kind and other of a different kind. And this word is, and there were two others of a different kind. Because, see, Jesus was innocent and they were guilty. They weren't the same as Jesus. They were criminals. And Jesus was innocent. So he says, and two others of a different kind were also who were criminals. The word criminal literally means the evil worker. To do evil, to do wrong. They had done something wrong. Jesus was innocent. They were going to be killed along with Jesus. They were going to suffer with him. It says they were led away to be put to death with him. If you have in your mind that just a few people were crucified, ever. There were thousands of people crucified. There were times from history that roads were lined that the Romans would line the roads coming into some of the cities with people on crosses, thousands of them dying so that that would be a lesson. You don't mess with the Roman government. See all these people? 
They're all dying. And so when you think about it, Jesus was just one of many who was crucified. But he was the most unique one of all. Because when Jesus Christ was crucified and died on the cross, he took the sins of every human being, past, present, and future, and paid the penalty for our sins. To be able to be the Savior and to give us the opportunity to have eternal life simply as a gift. When you think of the cross, sometimes today we, we think of, of a thing of beauty and the cross and, and jewelry and a cross around your neck or earrings or you know a ring that's got a cross on it. And, and we say, yes, but that wasn't a symbol of beauty. It was a symbol of shame. It was a symbol of death and suffering. Criminals were crucified. Today we speak of the cross of Jesus Christ and we realize what he did for us on the cross, dying and rising again, paying for sin, conquering death. We want to start, we'll end this with this verse, but we'll really get into it next week. Look, verse 33, when it says, And they came to the place called the skull. There they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. They came to the place called the skull. You remember last week I said we always talk about the road to Calvary? And we say, Calvary's cross. Jesus died on Calvary. What does Calvary mean? Why do we say Calvary? When you look in the scripture, the Greek word, see, it says, it says here they came to the place called the skull. The Greek word for skull is cranium. It was called the place of the skull. Sometimes you've heard that Jesus Christ died at Golgotha. That's the Hebrew word for skull. And Calvary is the Latin word for skull. So when it says Jesus died on Calvary, he died at the place of the skull. Now the question is, why did they call this the place of the skull? Well, several things. Some people think that it was a hill that looked like a skull. When I went to... Um, Israel in 1976 and I went to Jerusalem and we went outside the city and there's a place that everybody says now this is the traditional place that Jesus was crucified and if you stand here because now there's a bus station or it was then there was a bus station there but you look right over here and there's this kind of a hill and on the side of this hill it looks like a skull you can say well there, like there's an eye and an eye and a kind of a nose looking thing and a face and you can say that's the place of a skull and so some believe that it's called the place of the skull because it looked like a skull there are other people who say it was a place of the skull because they've killed so many people that's the skulls all over the ground. Most people don't hold to that one, but that's one. There is another tradition, and I mentioned it sometime, that the tradition is that this is the place that David, after he killed Goliath and cut Goliath's head off, that he came back to Jerusalem, brought the skull of Goliath back, and this is where they buried the skull of Goliath. That's tradition. This is the place where they buried his head. We do not know why it was called the skull, but that it was. It was called the cranium, the Golgotha, the Calvary. And they crucified him. Notice they crucified him and the criminals, the evildoers, the evil workers, one on the right and the other on the left. That fulfills an Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah 53 verse 12 that he would be numbered, he would be counted with the transgressors. He would die with the criminals. Now, I want you to think about crucifixion just for a second. Throughout history, people have used all kind of ways to kill their enemies, to kill people. The Assyrians were pretty savage. They would take people that they wanted to kill. They would dig a hole. They would put them down in the ground. They would bury them in the ground where the only thing sticking out is their head. And then they would come through on their horses and they would knock their heads off. Syrians did that. Babylonians were really good at taking a, a stake, sharpening it, and just putting a person down and impaling them on a stake. 
Jewish people throughout history stoned people. Now you have pictures of people picking up rocks and stoning somebody, but what they actually did is they had a big hole in the ground, they threw the person down in there, and then they took a very large boulder-type thing and threw down on top of them. If it didn't kill them, then the people who laid the charges were able to take rocks and throw down into the hole to kill the person. But the Romans, the Romans crucified. I'm going to give you a flow of the crucifixion because it began with scourging. They would take the person who was going to be crucified and they would beat them, Sometimes they never made it to the crucifixion because it killed them. They then had to carry their place, their, their cross to the place of execution led by four soldiers. When they got there, they gave them a, a sort of a vinegar wine with something in it to dull the pain because they had a little humanity there. They said, we're going to fix it where the pain will be dulled so it won't hurt as badly. They would take all their clothes off. They would nail them to the cross, they would put the cross up, they had a sign above their head, which would be their charge, whatever they did wrong. What was above Jesus' head was, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And they were left there to die. And they were crucified, oftentimes they were pierced and then tied, and a person would be hanging there, and there was usually a little bitty place that they had their feet, that they could try to hold themselves up. Because if you didn't hold yourself up, you went like this, and then you couldn't breathe. And you had to pull yourself up to breathe. And, of course, it's just, you know, tearing this and everything else. And after a while, you just couldn't pull yourself up. And sometimes you were on the cross two, three, four, five days before you died. And if they wanted people to die quickly, they would say, break their legs. Because if you break your leg, you can't pull up anymore. And you suffocated much faster. That's crucifixion. So it's not pretty at all. It's not glamorous. It's not romantic. It's horrible, but it is the cross of Christ. And when we think about the cross, I want you to think about the cross of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 2, 2, Paul says, this is the message that Christ was crucified. 1 Corinthians 1, 17, he says, we need to proclaim the message of the cross. And 1 Corinthians 1, 23, he says, we preach Christ and him crucified. Our message is Jesus died on the cross, paying for our sins, and rose again on the third day, giving eternal life to all who believe. Don't leave out the message of the cross. He died and rose again, and all who believe in him will have eternal life. The gospel message, I deliver to you of first importance that I also receive that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture that he's buried and rose again on the third day, the death and resurrection of Christ as he died on the cross. We want to clearly proclaim the message of the cross to all in this community and to all we have the opportunity to tell it is the only way of salvation, faith in Jesus Christ. Next time we see him on the cross, we begin to see more specific Old Testament prophecies fulfilled. We're going to begin seeing the seven statements of Christ on the cross. In fact, if you look at verse 34, the very next verse, Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. That's the first of the seven statements that Jesus makes on the cross. And over the next two, a couple of weeks, we're going to put all together. What have we seen this morning? Jesus is taken to the place of death. Simon is carrying the cross behind him. The crowd is following. The women are weeping. Jesus tells of the future judgment that is coming. Two criminals are crucified with him. And we see Jesus as he dies for us.
Let me give you some applications. We'll go through it fairly quickly. Understand the horror of the crucifixion. Just understand what it is. A, it's suffering and shame. I mean, it was, it was the criminal was the one who was taken on the cross. It was not the good people. When people saw people on the cross, they'd say, I wonder what they did wrong. I mean, it was a place of suffering and shame. B, but it was also a place of great physical suffering. They were pierced. There was no clothes. They were suffocating. It was a terrible time. So understand the horror of crucifixion because we read it all the time and we'll say things like, Jesus died on the cross as if it was nothing. It was horrible. Number two is understand that Jesus spoke of the coming judgment. First of all, on the nation, that the nation, because of their rejection, God would judge the nation of Israel. And in A.D. 70, it began. Now, there were other persecutions up to then, but in A.D. 70, Jerusalem itself was destroyed. Basically, the temple was destroyed and the people were scattered throughout the world. The second aspect of judgment is that all who reject Jesus Christ will be judged and separated from God forever. If a person does not believe in Jesus, they will be separated. The third thing is to understand that Jesus Christ was crucified for us. And you might even say it this way. He's crucified for you and for me. A, he did nothing wrong. He did nothing wrong. He's the spotless lamb of God. It was Israel's rejection of him. It was Rome. It was, it was us. Because he is B, he's our substitute. He died for us. He died in our place. First Peter 3.18, Christ died for our sins, the, the once for all, the just for the unjust to bring us to God. And so what is the key to trusting Jesus Christ as Savior? You hear me say this many times. If you have never understood the way of salvation today, right where you're sitting right now, you can believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. He died for you on the cross. He paid for sin and rose again. And he offers to you the gift of eternal life. It is simply by faith. It is not by coming forward. It is not by turning away from sin. It is not by anything that you do. Because you are not the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. It is simply by faith alone and Christ alone. You trust in Him and Him alone right where you're sitting. And you have eternal life the moment you believe. So trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. The fourth thing is just proclaim the message of the cross. That's what we're to do. And the message is that Jesus died and rose again. He rose, died and rose again for us. We must, we must make the message clear. If you talk to people... We had membership training last week. We're going to recognize some new members. But as, I, as we go through membership training, we talk to people, and they say things like, I've never heard this, or it's always this, or I had seven things that I was told. And it's just we must make the message very clear. And finally, salvation is always simply by faith. May we understand the suffering of our Savior Jesus Christ on the cross for us, and may we clearly proclaim the good news of the cross, the death and resurrection of Christ, who gives eternal life to all who believe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for these great truths. Help us to understand them. Help us, Lord, as we think about all this, to, to proclaim the great truths of Jesus Christ. We understand the horror of crucifixion and how Jesus talked about the judgment coming on Israel. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus died for us, that he is our substitute. He did nothing wrong, and that all who believe in him will have eternal life. May we proclaim this message in this community to those who do not know. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.